Hi there, welcome to Vertical Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Taylor. Today I'm sitting with Simon Richardson. Simon Richardson, uh, anyone familiar with Scottish winter climbing will know that name. But uh, to give a quick introduction, he's written a guidebook slash guide to chasing conditions and he runs scottishwinterclimbing.com blog. Simon, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Robert. Um, you, it's been a bit of a bad winter, hasn't it, in terms of uh, conditions? It has. It's been... Uh... It's probably been the worst anybody can remember. That's bad. Which is bad. That is bad. I mean, last year was fantastic. Yeah, last year was pretty good. Uh, in fact, very, very good. Very, very icy. But um, this year we had um, a very warm February, which kind of... And it never it hasn't really kicked it off, hasn't has really, it? It hasn't really recovered since then. No. That said, you've still, you've still got out. So I know of at least... Is it three new routes? No, actually, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's probably about 40. But this winter, <laughs> yeah, but, but most of them are fairly trivial. And, and that's to clarify in a bad winter, 40 new routes, yeah. But, but, but most, are, most are quite short and most are quite easy. But there's about three I've owned up to so far. Wow, know. so those, <laughs> those three are so yourself and Ian Small, uh, Blackmount Wall on the Buchel. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about that, okay? So we've been climbing on the bend the day before, and uh, we were staying in Langengarve, and it was very, very snowy. and uh, uh, we, we got kind of armed about what to do, actually. Uh, but um, we'd, all, I'd, we'd always wanted to climb on the south side of the buckle, which is the Black Mount Wall. And um, it's quite a complicated area. I knew nothing about it. Um, Ian said he knew a little bit about it. Um, of course, it transpired that he'd climbed all over it, doing all sorts of new rock routes, left, right and centre. But um, so we spent some time looking at it through binoculars from the car. And... Uh, Ian's got better eyesight than me. He spotted a very, very thin sort of white streak high up on the wall. So, so, so we said we'd go and do that. And we approached it via Collie's route. That There's a diagonal route. That big slanting That line. big slanting line, which yeah. I've never done before. And that, that it was actually really cool just going up there. Yeah, and we got to um, below the route. And um, sure enough, there were three pitches. And it was just in the shade, so it hadn't caught any sun. And it was frozen, and it was a nice, a, a nice, a nice mix line. It was about, yeah, about grade seven. Super. Yeah. That good. Uh, there's yeah. another. So I think it's Edge of Profanity on Chano. Yes. Was that one? It was either that or Five's Wall, that uh, I think you described as lonely, fifteen meter high, unprotected wall that Ian climbed up blobs of centimeter thick ice. Yes, that was on Five's Wall. That the day sounds before. like a lot of fun. The day before. Yeah, that's right. We did. We did. So we climbed on um, the Black Mountain Wall. Yeah, Ian's really good at this sort of thing. That's kind of his speciality, isn't it? Like thin ice. Ian's good at many things, but he's particularly good at thin ice. I've climbed with lots of really good people um, from all sorts of different countries. And uh, I'd say Ian is probably the best I've ever seen on very, very thin ice. That's quite something. Yeah. yeah, That's really cool. He's got a really deft touch. And... uh, I remember climbing on the Ben a couple of years ago and there was this pitch that had about a centimetre or two of thin ice running all the way up it. And uh, I was very glad it was his lead. That must be such a knee trembler. And uh, he, he, he led it without in about three minutes with, with having a conversation with me the whole time. And for him, it I mean, was how steep, just... How steep is this pitch, say... Well, it wasn't vertical, but it was probably sort of 75, 80 degrees. I mean, it was, it was steep, 
And uh, when I got on it, just following, you know, with a rope directly above me, I I really had to concentrate very, very hard just to stay on. That's quite something. Obviously, just has it down. Yeah, I mean, and the, the only way I could climb it was to look through the ice to see where there were any slight, a bit like slab climbing, any slight rugosities yeah. in the rock underneath, and that would then support the crampon points. Um, but no, Ian, Ian's just amazing. Cool. What's your what's your kind of favourite? You know, is it a steep crack line or is it turfy mix? What's your kind of favourite? It's probably turfy mix, to be honest. I, I, I guess the guess the steep crack lines um, tend to be uh, a, a bit steep for me nowadays. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So you, on the subject of uh, winter conditions, you've written a book, mm-hmm. and it's it's a guidebook. It's got I think fifty routes. Mm-hmm. That's right. But also it talks a lot about conditions and you know how to get these routes in condition. Mm-hmm. And this is, what's it called, uh, Chasing the Ephemeral. That's correct, Very yes. apt name for yes. a book yes. about. So how did that come about? Yeah, okay, it's, um, it was a long time in the making, actually. Um, so what happened was um, I'd written a book about the history of climbing on Ben Nevis with Ken Crockett. And the day that was published, um, Tom Prentice, who um, had produced that book, but he's also got his own publishing company, said, would I write a book about Scottish winter climbing? and particularly about the 50 best Scottish winter routes. Cool. So that seemed a good idea, and I said yes, and then I spent a long time thinking about it and procrastinating. And part of the problem was I couldn't really decide what the 50 best routes actually were, because the 50 best routes arguably very rarely come to condition. Yeah, there'll be these mega rare things. That's right. Yeah, and I thought there was no point in writing a book that just was full of routes that were unobtainable. It would be a very frustrating book. So I thought it'd be better to write a book that described routes you could do through the season. Mm. So the book's got five chapters. Um, there's an early season chapter, then a chapter about what to do when it gets very, very snowy. Uh, and then Go a chapter, skiing. Joking, yeah. Um, or do those really rarely in condition south-facing routes. Um, and then a chapter about what to do after it's thawed, um, because uh, then it can bring can, routes in high up. And then a then a chapter about when it gets really good, and then a chapter about late season stuff, which is can be very good too. Super. It's uh, as as far as I'm aware. I mean, a lot of my friends have got. I don't have a copy myself, otherwise I've brought it along that you just sign it. But most of my friends, whether beginners or fairly experienced winter climbers, have a copy, and they definitely use them. They definitely get the use out of them in terms of uh, working out conditions. So uh, I think you've done you've done us all a favour and probably saved a good amount of fuel money as well, being wasted on going to the wrong venue. Well, well I hope so. I mean, for, for, for me, uh, I, I'm not working now, but when I was working, time was very precious. You could only climb on Sundays, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. That's so, impressive. So, well, in some ways it made me very focused. Yeah. So, you know, with job and family and stuff, um, we agreed I'd just go climbing on a Sunday. And that meant that um, rather than wait for... Routes wants to come to condition. I had to sort of do it the other way around and actually choose routes that fitted the conditions yeah. of the day. Sunday trips to church door buttress. <laughs> so one of the, a few of the routes that you've got in chasing the ephemeral, they're not you know the most predictable routes that you would have in a in a top fifty climbs book. And a few of them have had very few ticks, mm-hmm. almost none. On fact, in fact, at mm-hmm. least on UKC, one of those. Um, so a friend of mine went to a talk that you gave a while ago, a couple of years ago, it must be. And you, at the time, were really enthusiastic about a route called Top Gun. Okay, yes. And on the basis of your talk, actually, and how psyched you were for this route, he persuaded me to go and have a look at it. And we did this. This was last winter. 
Fantastic. It was probably one of the routes I enjoyed most last winter, although I'd probably give it 5-7 because that last corner, the feet aren't great. And okay. the hook, you have to yeah. really look yeah. for the hooks. Yeah. 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 I thought that yeah. was a fantastic route, really good fun. Yes. Good. You, you climbed that with Alan Mullen. That's right. That's right. In fact, it's named after Alan. The top gun is Alan, although Alan never never realised that. Wow. That's because he was, in many ways, he was quite ahead of his time in kind of his approach and his style. He was. Uh, he he was probably one of the most influential winter climbers of the last century, to be honest. You think? I think. Uh, in what in what sense? Well, it's interesting. It, 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 he wasn't actually that brilliant a climber. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in terms of he wasn't that good technically, but he was incredibly determined. He was very fit. He was very fast, and he was pretty strong. And uh, and he had this amazing focus. And the reason why he was so influential is that um, uh, he he did some amazing routes on the Shelterstone, things like the Needle and the Steeple. And people thought, well, if Alan can do them, you know, we should be able to do better things too. Yeah. And and as a result, him so coming he pushed the, the standard a bit. Yes, he he he, but he he the standard probably jumped you know a full grade in the season. I would say it it almost seems like I mean I'm sure that kind of human beings were partially to blame for this but also the tools and the available knowledge and stuff has helped mm. a lot it seems like the standard even in the last kind of five ten years has just skyrocketed yes i i um leashless tools have helped mm-hmm. um there's no question because you have to be quite sort of uh, quite skilled really to sort of do everything with leashes on um but leashless tools do help I think the big difference is people are fitter. I think people are going to dry tooling venues a lot more. Mm-hmm. So they're actually getting used to um, you know, the kind of moves and positions that you get into when you're mixed climbing. Cool. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, Alan, how, how much did you climb with him? Uh, about 10 times, probably. Um, so I wasn't one of his regular partners. but uh, which, uh, which other routes came out of that? Um... Not not many other hard. We had a few failures actually. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, we did some things in pretty lousy conditions. I remember the first time we climbed together, we did the messenger. He was keen to meet me. Um, so we climbed, uh, the, and it was it was a horrible day. And uh, I think he was determined to show what a strong climber he was. So he sort of, I think he, he, I think he led the whole thing in in pretty much one big pitch. And didn't put any runners in. He sort of ran up the thing. Oh man! Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of any other big climbs that came out of our partnership. Um, not, not, not many actually. Um, we, we, uh, yeah, another time we, he, <clears throat> we were on Hammock Moor in bad conditions, and he fell off and broke his finger. I'm not painting with a very good light, really. No, but uh, but, um, but 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 Top Gun, yeah. who spotted that line? It was my line, um, and. Uh, uh, and yeah, he 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 was keen to go and do it. So excellent. That's cool. what happened. I really yeah. don't know why it hasn't had more uh, more ascent, more attention paid to it. To be honest, because it's not that long an approach. Well, assuming assuming you use the gondola. I use the okay. Well, we 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 came in from um, from Glen Nevis. I think that the gondola. Yeah, it's, it, how long does it take from? I haven't been from. Oh, it's actually. not long. It's maybe two hours, two and okay. a half max. Right. You know, yeah, the, okay. the outside. Okay. A lot of that's quite a nice, pleasant walk as well. Good for you. And you could do it on skis. Yes, you, you could, could use do. the ski tour to yeah, the top yeah, of that. You could do. You could do. That's a nice mattress. 
It's, it's, I'm going to head back there as soon as I can. Yeah. Well, next winter sometime, sure. Uh, so you, did you start with alpinism and then end up doing winter? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so when I was at university, I, I went to Scotland once a winter, but I, I really got hooked into alpine climbing. Yeah. So I did a lot of alpine climbing. And then uh, <clears throat> in the mid-80s, um, I decided that... Uh, I really wanted to get into Scottish winter climbing, and the only way to do that was really to live here. So I, um, I changed jobs and uh, started a, a job in Glasgow, and then moved up to Aberdeen after that. And uh, is it true what they say? Do you think that alpinism is good prep for Scotland? Well, in a way, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly approached Scottish climbing with a sort of alpinist um, head, in a way. Um, so I. Uh, I think with alpine climbing, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. Um, early starts really help. Uh, and um, so I apply quite a lot of the stuff I've learned in the Alps to, to climbing this column. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, Scotland, with the weather in particular, they can be so much more extreme, more kind of dangerous just straight off the bat than the Alps can. Because, you know, a nice day in the Alps, it's kind of just a nice summer's day, isn't it? But if it turns bad, it's really bad. That's right. In the Alps, to be honest, you, mean you, you only tend to climb in good weather. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas right. in Scotland, we'll push it a bit. You know, you go. Well, you haven't got much choice a lot of the time. Exactly. If you want to get something done, you have to accept a little bit of spin drift, a little bit of unpleasantness. So you, when you, when you were restricted to climbing on a Sunday, you were working at the time as an oil engineer. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. I was a, I was a reservoir engineer by, um, by background. Yeah, yeah. yeah super. Yeah. It seems yeah. quite, quite a lot of the guys that winter climb, work in oil or work in a sort of related industry. Yeah, it, it, I guess lots um, climbers climbing tends to attract engineers and scientists. Yeah, absolutely. As, 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 That's as, sort of mindset. As a, as, as, a, as a, I guess climbing's sort of problem solving, a bit like engineering or science. Um, and also, I think a lot of people were attracted, like me, to the oil business because it was a chance to have a career up in Scotland. Yeah, and I think a lot of guys working in jobs where you know that it's two weeks on, two weeks off, or three on, three off they see six months holiday a year and they're sold. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's right. the case where a few folk, yes, uh, few no, folk I'm aware of. Indeed. Um, you did, what year was it? 2018, the first ascent of Perfect Storm? Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Because that, I've read about it and it's really cool. Okay. So this was um, a long-term project. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching um, an age where if I don't get these things done now, How long-term? I never will. Well, okay, uh, twenty-five years. So, so this is a route on Mont Blanc, a new route we did on Mont Blanc, um, mm-hmm. and it all started um, back in nineteen ninety-three when I did um, uh, the Red Pillar Brouillard on the south side of Mont Blanc, which in yeah. itself is a, is a is a sort of big big climb, and it was the end of a fantastic uh, couple of weeks. We've done a whole lot of fantastic routes. Um, we've done the Walker Spur and, you know, the Andresas Pillar and, you know, all sorts of that. That's a productive period. Lots, yeah, really, really good route. And um, so we, we did the Red Bull Briar and um, rather than abseil off, which a lot of people do nowadays, we continued up the Briar Ridge to the top of Mont Blanc. And the weather was perfect and we had a bit of whack and the weather was perfect. And we were fit and we were strong. And But it was time to go home. Uh, but I didn't really want to go home. I just wanted to sort of carry on. And I thought how fantastic it would be to just carry on climbing. And uh, we, we dropped down the Italian side and 
in our head was the Aga de BNSA and the Dom de Niage, and I thought, wouldn't it be fantastic to sort of continue the adventure over those mountains? Anyway, so I had this idea about doing this climbing on Blanc and doing a, a really big traverse. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I thought, well, you know, what would be a really good way of climbing the mountain? And something on the Italian side made sense. Um, and uh, in recent years, I've started looking around for new routes in the Alps. And um, I knew that on the reverse side of the Briar pillars, there were another set of pillars which had hardly ever been touched. In fact, there are three pillars there, and the central pillar, the biggest pillar, had never been climbed. So that's what we did. We we went up. I did it with my friend um, Misha Rin from Germany. Um, so we we um, uh, went up to the um, Quintino Sala hut, which is um, a very remote bivouac hut on the on the south side of Mont Blanc. Which one is that? It's so it's underneath the Tournier Spur, if that makes any sense. So, so it's the one that. Um, it used to be that used to be the um, standard way up Mont Blanc from Italy. All right, but it's all on the papal route. No, so so that so that is um, you, you do that from the um, um, from the Ganella hut. Ah, okay, yes. Yeah, so this is sort of above the Ganella hut actually on the um, so you, know, you look down to the Ganella hut from the um, Quintino Sala hut. Okay, I've got you. Yeah. Anyway, so we spent. Um, very difficult hut to get to because of glacial recession. So we spent a long time getting there, and then we spent the next day wrecking the route because you can't quite see it from a hut. So the next day we um, we cl climbed most of the pillar, and we had um, the forecast was meant to get bad the next day, in fact the next evening, but unfortunately it really got bad the next morning. So um, we had to. How bad is bad? Well, it was windy all night, so it was actually um, so we couldn't light the stove in the evening. Um, worse in the morning, and um, and then it started to, to snow about seven in the morning. And um, when it snowed, it, it really came down very, very, very hard. So so we finished the route, um, which is good because we'd failed to do that bit in the um, uh, the night before. So we finished the route, and then we had to go along the Bruyar Ridge. And it was just like climbing, um, you know, Ben Nevis on a in a in a storm. Yeah, total Huli, yeah, yeah. total Huli. And uh, uh, it was it was pretty engaging actually. And um, there was nowhere we could stop. And I knew that we had to um, get over the summit of Mont Blanc and down to the Vallow Hut, which is a bivouac hut just below the summit, where we'd get some um, get some shelter. And that's what we did. But it took um, it was a it was a very hard day. Um, actually going out to Bruyne Ridge in this storm. Um, How long did that take you from the top of the ridge to the Valo Hut? A long time. It must have taken um, about 12 hours, I think. Oof. And uh, so since I'd done the Bruyne Ridge before, I, I led virtually all the Bruyne Ridge until we got to the top of Mont Blanc de Cormayeur. Um, but um, by that point, I was sort of mentally exhausted. We were both very, very cold. And then we had to we had to um, navigate across to the summit of Mont Blanc, a complete whiteout. And it would have been very very tempting to um, to just wing it and say, well, it's kind of in that direction and head off into the uh, Merck. But um, we, we got the um, famous last words. We, we got the very disciplined. We got a map and a compass out, and uh, 
but and it sounds simple, but our hands were so cold. I remember it took ten minutes to undo the oh. the pocket in my rucksack and actually pick the, the compass out with my hands. It's so easy to get lazy, isn't it? It is yeah, exactly that's right. Such a so it's interesting. It was it was almost a sort of you know British hill walking discipline to, to, to know you've got to look at the compass. Um, anyway, so so Misha then got us to the top of Mont Blanc and then heroically got us off Mont Blanc because all, all the tracks were completely buried there was just no sign of anybody so it was um uh it was tough actually we went slightly off route going down and um but he he he, he, he got us to the hut which was a, a big relief but that wasn't the place we could afford to make a mistake no no it's not is it you know you're at the top but it's quite yeah, far but we quite were far back there. I mean we were very cold we we, we hadn't eaten really for two days or drunk for two days at that point um and um everything was freezing up uh no we were we, we couldn't afford to, to to get it wrong do you think there's uh, more scope for more new routes around there i think so yes um uh, yeah definitely yeah it's maybe a yeah, fun yeah. thing to do. you another one you did with the the same chap michelle wren is uh on the grand jurass the east is it the tranche face yes it was yeah it was on the um on the tranche wall so um again this was another long-term ambition um so how long from seeing it to doing it uh, it was about 10 years this time so brilliant. not 25 brilliant um but uh that was interesting because um uh i i, I it was a bit of a fantasy really i i, I so i climbed the grand Jurassic a few times before and um obviously you know many ways perhaps it's one of my favorite mountains or my favorite mountain in the alps and i thought wouldn't it be cool to do a new route on the Grand Jurass because it is this sort of you know amazing mythical mountain and um, I knew it was a fantasy but I spent a lot of time looking at photographs of the Grand Jurass and um, and I knew I, there wouldn't be a route to do on the north face because that's crisscrossed with loads and loads and loads of, oh, loads yeah, of lines spider web, it, it, it is, that's right exactly so I knew there'd be something on the south side and um uh, I looked at lots and lots of pictures, and 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 then um, uh, some Italians um, did a couloir, which they actually failed on it. They got very very high on it, um, and again I was surprised that I hadn't spotted that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then but. In a, in a magazine, there was a topo that that, that, that came with this couloir, and um, hey presto, the ridge line to the left didn't have a light, didn't wasn't marked as a route. Oh, brilliant! So I started checking it all out, and um, sure enough, this and it was such an amazingly obvious line. And again, it um, you know I'd missed it too. So I went I went and took a photograph of it um, one summer, and I showed this photograph to lots of my friends. And um, I even took a couple of my friends round to the bottom of it. But it's so huge that people stared up at the thing and said... Got intimidated by it and said, no way. But but Misha Misha was keen. Brilliant. That's what happened. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been there on on the blog, Mm scottishwinter.com, which is a great resource, by the way. I was there. You've been kind of chronicling these routes that people have been doing for how long now? Probably about 30 years. I mean, the the, the blog's been going for, for 10 Right, and before um, and before that, what form did well, that be, take? Yeah, before that, um, I I wrote for magazines. So um, I started off with Climber magazine, but um, for about twenty five years, I wrote a column in High magazine, which 
That's defunct now, isn't it? Which is defunct now, that's right. So high became climb. And um, I, I, I got a bit frus frustrated that um, I was still writing stuff for climb, but by the time it came out, you know, it was old news. Because yeah. it had been on the Versus, you know, literally instant. instant yes, exactly. That's right. And, and I, I, I thought I, I wasn't happy with the accuracy of some of the stuff that was going online. So okay. I thought, well, actually, um, I can probably um, do a better job. Super. That's really good. And so, actually, one thing that you said, I think this is in the maybe the Alpine Journal or something, uh -huh. and it's uh, the quote is, at the beginning of the 21st century, Scotland can probably lay claim to the most ethically pure form, form of mountaineering in the world. Is that still the case, do you think? I think so. Do you think uh, that will continue to be the case? I hope so. Um, so I, I, I sort of make that statement on a couple of premises, really. I mean, first mm. of all, we don't use bolts. So Scotland has resisted this, although there have been there was a there was a chap who put some bolts in on Ben Oodley and That's right. he was kind of not quite shouted down, but shouted down and told you know not here, not now. And I think it's despite that little diversion, it does seem to have gone very much the no bolts way. That's right. I mean, actually, bolts have been used. I mean, Comb Gully's got bolts in, for example. I mean, that were put back. I think they're not the kind you would want to trust. They're not, but but the bolts have been used sporadically, and and people occasionally do still talk about it. So I don't think it's gone away forever. But I think once you put bolts in it, it sort of takes away the challenge. It changes the game. Changes the game. It changes the nature. Yeah. But I think the reason why we can live without bolts in Scotland is because our rock is 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 it's old and it's fractured. Mm -hmm. I think where they've put bolts in overseas it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's just that I don't think it makes sense to copy what they're doing here. No, no, I mean it seems to be working quite well and time time will tell, but I think I, I was speaking to Robbie Robbie Phillips about this and Robbie comes from a kind of a more sport climbing background. And one of the things he says he really likes about Scottish climbing, which he's done a little bit of, he seconded uh, Greg Apanubis. He did. Which I thought was quite cool, you know, yeah, he just no, yeah. put this outrageously strong rock climber. He does a lot of trad and big wall and stuff as well. He, I did an interview with him not long ago. But he's seconding, you know, one of the hardest, one of the two hardest routes in Scotland. I mean, that's fantastic. It'll be what? interesting to see if he does a bit more with tools. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he does. He well, he's, a very, he's a very good climber. He's got a fantastic adventurous attitude. So he does. He's got a really good, uh, yeah, good yeah. So, attitude uh, to the sport. Yeah, so um, yes, he could be a really good fit. We'll see. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be really yeah, cool. Yeah. Ridiculous. So back to the ethics thing. So, so, yeah. so that, 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 that's one reason. And top road um, practice, that's, that's another that, thing. Well, that's right. So we, we have got a, um, an ethic of doing things um, ground up on site, mm -hmm. if we possibly can. Um, it doesn't always work out that way because it's not on site if you have a go and fail and you come back, of course, so things aren't necessary. But generally people are still ground up. They, they, they are. And it's partly because it 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 doesn't make sense to, to do things from above because the weather's so shitty. But I think also our, our ethic is important. And people, again, people have have tried it. Um, and uh, well, There's definitely been a bit of like pre-inspection in summer, you know, climb a route and have a look at where certain things are. Yes, well, that, I think that happens a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I think I think most decent new routes are climbed. Um, they're not they're not they're not accidents. They're, they're stuff that's actually been being put in a lot through. of that's right, exactly. a lot of effort and a lot of um, thought to this. Yeah, that's right. But they haven't necessarily been at least high standard ones, rather. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. But there's certainly people have certainly so gone have a look at it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Dave, uh, so Dave McLeod recent, I think it was last winter. 
he did a thing which was uh, the 24-8. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was the most impressive feat. I don't think anybody else could probably get any anywhere. That's what I reckon. Anywhere close to, to doing it themselves. Of those, of those, probably the easiest thing is well, barring the eight Monroes, would be the eight eight winter route. Well, it's funny. So, um, so Ian Small partnered Dave on the on the grade eight. Yeah. And Which one was that? It was Frostiest Vigil on the Ben, which is cool. Was, which that must have a, been like the first or second ascent. Of it, second right? ascent, I think, probably. Um, cool. They chose it because it was because Dave was approaching from the top and he went down Tower Gully, and it was something that he, that he could get to quite quickly. Mm. Um, Ian said it was actually the thing he was most nervous about because it was probably the least predictable thing. Yeah, getting um, it in and getting it. That's right. Uh, and. Uh, it's funny, I, I, I discussed this with Ian and, and, and I, I suggested to Ian that, that Ian was probably the only other person in the country who was probably had the skills to be able to do what Dave had done. But Ian didn't think he could do it either. He was pretty adamant he wasn't good enough to do the um, to do the bouldering or the sport climbing. But Fair it, 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 I don't it, believe it's very for a second. Ian's very modest. I, you know, I, 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 I think Ian is um, is is probably the one of the best, if 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 not, if not the best winter climber, actually. I, I, well, they're different. I think I think Greg is probably the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, climbing, for example, climbing thin ice versus climbing really steep cracks. It's almost it's a really different thing, isn't it? Yes. No. No. It, no. It is. That's right. Not to so, belittle what either of them do. You know, they're they're no, both right. fantastically yeah. skilled, but, but those exactly. are kind of different facets. But, but, but in certain, exactly. So in terms of what they do, I, th- I think I think Ian is um, is is. It's funny, no, no, nobody repeats Ian's roots. It'll be interesting to see how long that remains the case for. I can't imagine thin ice climbing is ever going to become really wildly popular. That's right. Um, whilst, you know, if you're, if you're going up very, very steep cracks, if you can get protection in, um, it obviously um, it, it's probably more attractive. Having said that, I mean, some of the stuff Greg's done is absolutely Definitely more attractive. Like, Definitely more attractive. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but Greg does done some mind-blowing stuff as I well. I mean, Banana Wall, I've looked up at that and just thought, wow, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And Anubis as well is kind of really beyond my comprehension, I think. Yes. Um, no, it's, 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 it's really great we've got such, um, such strong climbers and also such, you know, such a great generation of, of the younger climbers. It's a kind of fun scene. Yeah. Like a lot of these guys that are that are going out and climbing a lot and climbing hard stuff, you know, they're, they're fun people to be around. They're obviously, they're really enjoying it. I mean, why else would you go winter climbing if you didn't absolutely love it? Yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alpine stuff and other things. I'm going to mention a few ranges. I'd like you to tell me kind of the, kind of the favourite thing that you've done there or the favourite okay. thing you've tried. Oh, right. So okay. uh, first off, Himalayas. Okay, so... Um, I haven't climbed in a long time, but back in the eighties, I went a few times. And probably the, the probably the best mountain was a mountain called Chimochio, which I climbed with Roger Everett. That was in the Kishtuar Mountains, and um, we did this really long sort of buttressy ridge. Um, I think the thing was thirteen hundred meters high, and um, we had to start very low down there. So we spent twelve days from base camp to base camp mm-hmm. going up and down this thing. That was it was cool. The, the mountain hadn't been climbed before, which which was oh, that's pretty. Uh, what, what kind of height was that? About six three. That's nice. Yes, yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Karakoram. <laughs> um, I've only been to the Karakoram once, um, and the weather wasn't very good. I was with um, Simon Yates, 
and um, Sean Smith. And we did do um, an unnamed, unclimbed peak opposite Kunyan Kish in a horrible day. But that's uh, but that was it, really. Cool. Caucasus. Yes, I've been to the Caucasus. Um, so uh, I haven't been to the main Caucasus, but um, I went to a, a range called the Chalki Mountains, which are opposite um, a 5,000-metre peak called Kazbek, with a guy called Graham Dudley, Graham, a good friend of mine, he'd skied up Kazbek and he'd seen this pointed set of peaks. So we went uh, we went there the following year and did a bunch of stuff. So you, you did a couple of new routes in Alaska, is that right? Um, I've done I've done one new route in Alaska. Um, so um, what was that called? There's a that was a south ridge of Mount Hunter. Um, so uh, the, the 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 route had been climbed before, um, but they hadn't actually quite got to the top, and they'd done it fixed rope style. And um, we went back a few, few years after that and did it alpine style. Nice. Got to the summit and then traversed the mountain and went down the other side. Um, again, that was another 12-day outing. Oh, 12. Was, I can't imagine what it's like climbing yeah, with like right. 12 days was, worth of food. Well, we didn't have 12. We only had 10 days worth of food. <laughs> well, that must make a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good trick. I'll remember yeah, that. that's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. And uh, you, you tried the Ragni route as well on Sherotori. Yes, gosh. Yes, that's right. So, um, yeah, I don't talk about this very much because uh, um, it was a bit. It was one of these sort of really deep experiences. Okay. Um, but uh, I went with Dave Hesselden, a, a really good friend of mine, um, and we've done a lot of stuff together in the past. So, so tell us a bit about the Ragni route itself. You know, what does it involve to climb? Okay, so uh, the Ragni route's on the west face of Cheritori, and um, uh, it's essentially a it's about four thousand foot high um it's all pretty much all ice or or mixed climbing mm-hmm. um and the last seven or eight pitches are are pretty hard they're probably they're probably about scottish seven wow um and uh and it partly depends on the shape of the snow mushrooms to, 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 to the shape of the splutings to get to that really mushrooms. weird stuff I think exactly that's there. right exactly um so I went there about 12 years ago. At that point, the route had only climbed about five times. Um, and it was just before um, all the internet changed climbing in Patagonia. Because and the weather forecast. Yeah, the, 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 the internet and weather forecast changed yeah. climbing in Patagonia. So when we went, um, it was so old school, you, 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 t- you took a barometer with you or used your watch. And El Chalten didn't exist either as a jumping Well, it was there. No, there was jumping off. It was, it was, it was developing, but... Um, Anyway, so so we we, we again we packed um, ten days food <laughs> sounds familiar, and uh, and we we went over round to the to the ice cap, um, and the weather was awful. I mean, it just um, I mean, the winds were terrible, blowing mm. us up our feet, and um, uh, you know going through snow that was um, knee deep. Um, so we did that for four days, and we got underneath the west face, and then we dug a snow cave, and we just sort of. Um, waited for the weather to turn mm-hmm. and then the temperature started rising so we just um it was still bad outside but we, we just went for it and we got really high we we, we we got um we got within about seven pitches of the top um and 
the day that it was beginning to get dark and um, there wasn't enough time to obviously get to the top that day and get back again. And we were by a sort of natural ice cave. So I said to Dave, let's, um, let's spend the night here and get a yeah, bit of morning. Yeah, past that. Exactly, that's right. Um, Dave was really keen to carry on, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd looked at lots of reports and, and people, weather's really bad in Patagonia, but most people, <clears throat> when they did these things, got a day and a half good weather. And so I was convinced the next day was going to be good. Yeah. And the weather and the sky cleared and everything. Um, But um, so we spent the night in this um, snow cave and uh, got up really the next morning and I poked my head up the top and I couldn't believe, but it was was stormy. It was snowing and, and, and blowing really hard. But we had lots of food and fuel, so we spent two more nights in this snow cave and it was it was really really deep so we were sort of about sort of 30 meters down this hole this tunnel into this sort of wider cave and to start with it was completely silent but eventually the wind got so strong outside that you know it was like a jet engine sort of roaring outside so eventually we decided that we had to get down otherwise we probably never would we could be stuck out there for weeks yeah and we'd fixed a rope on the next pitch and that wouldn't pull um, so we were there, so there we were, you know, 3,000 foot up territory with one rope, one fifty metre rope. So um, we just had to get down, so it was just terrific weather, and we just downclimbed, and then we had to do a whole series of abseils up of Balakovs. And uh, I've said this, people don't believe me, but um, when at Avalanche, because we're on a sort of steep slope, and the snow would collect, and it would kind of slough off. Oh. But um, but when it would do, when it sloughed off, it it avalanched up uphill because the wind was so strong blowing at us. You know, it collected and it shot up up the slope rather than down the slope. It was just absolutely, It was horrifying, and it was the wind was so strong. It, it sounds so like cold. one of those descents where you stop taking photos and just. Oh well, you know, you, yeah. you know, you you couldn't even. Um, I mean, everything got completely iced up, so our. Our, our Gore-Tex got covered in in an inch of um, a, a, an inch of ice-like armor, and our, our ice axes grew the size of marrows. And wow. carabiners stopped working. Um, That's quite scary. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yes, it was very, very frightening. Um, anyway, but we 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 did uh, we did get down. <laughs> And then how many days to get back to civilization? Oh uh, well, that's right. So we then um, we, we we got down to the tent and. Um, we just um, next day we we then carried on cir- circumtraversing the whole range, and we think another two days we were we were out. So it was a good adventure, but um, we were so close that 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 night we bivouac that you know you felt you could almost touch the summit, and you looked across to Torriega, and it was just just across there. It, literally, you felt you could, you know, virtually level with the summit. You felt you could sort of reach out and touch it, but um, but we were well beaten. We don't, 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 there's no, no illusions that we were anywhere close to have had that experience though, yeah. by all by all the signs of it a very yeah. intense experience yeah it, it, it was intense and um when we got back to Charlton people couldn't even believe we'd even been on the mountain because wow. the weather had been weather had never gotten good there so anyway yes it was one of those things it'll be kind of very deeply etched in your memory I imagine y- yes I, I didn't um it's funny. I, I I I didn't talk about it for a long, long time, um, yeah. and uh, uh, yes, I've only really just started 
started talking about it now. But, um, For this podcast. Well, it's interesting. I, I don't know where you read about me on the... on the, 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 the There was something on... I mentioned it on a thing on UKC um, and uh, about two or three years ago. And... Um, I did a bit of research. I tend to, yeah, I tend yeah. to do about an hour and a half research. Okay, right. Okay, well, because my, my, um, my, my, my son saw it and he sent it to my wife, Christine. Mm-mm. And she said, you never told me that. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, I can't take the bag now. Indeed, that's right. But, um, yeah, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm happy to talk about it now. You've done about over 600 new routes now in Scotland. Mm-hmm. I suspect that that figure is a bit higher now because that was a slightly older article. Yes, it's, yes, it's probably probably higher than that. I haven't counted, but it's probably higher. That's quite yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, Andy Andy Nisbet at the time of his his death earlier this year on Ben Hope, he was at oh, well over a thousand. It would have been. I think so. I don't think anybody counted his routes. I, I did a I did a um, a profile of Andy 25 years ago for for a climb magazine, and I counted his routes then. And it was um, a huge number. Um, I mean, so his his contribution is. I mean, I, I was speaking to Simon years later, and he said, and at Andy's funeral, there were well over four hundred people there, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful, wonderful testament mm-hmm. to what what kind of a guy he was. Mm-hmm. And and Simon said that you know his his sheer love of what he was doing really shone through. Yes, yes, I I, I think he's. Um, I mean, probably one of the finest sort of mountaineers in his field ever in the world to be honest there's only a handful of people who mm-hmm. actually sort of made such an impact and, 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 and dominated you know their part of the sport for, you know, for it's, so it's hard to think of I mean maybe in the early days of bouldering someone like John Gill who basically sort of created the game if you know what I mean yeah. but, but Andy Nisbet you know, obviously he was, he was talking and things just at the start and now everyone's doing it well, that's right. I mean, he, he essentially invented the game we play now, which is just as well because yeah. um, I mean, Scottish what, winter climbing. What would you do otherwise? You exactly. So Scottish winter climbing, you know, thirty years ago was all about climbing snow and ice. Yeah. You know, it was waiting for the gullies to ice up, and uh, and then and while he was waiting, those. he was like, "Hang on, we could climb this." Well, that's right. Of course. Um, and nowadays, I mean, this winter the gullies haven't formed. Yeah. Um, so you know, people there'd be no climbing whatsoever this winter if we hadn't. That's done. a thought, actually. I haven't really, haven't yeah, really thought about this. Followed, followed Andy's lead. So, no, Andy's um, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's left a huge hole, a massive hole. Um, yeah. You know, he he. Uh, it wasn't just all the work he did, all his you yeah, know all guidebook work and all the new route stuff and, and everything else. It was um. He was almost a kind of figurehead, really. Um, it's funny. I, I mean, a couple of weeks after he died, I. Did a couple of sort of sort of reasonably short new routes on Loch Nagar, not 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 not, not significant things. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I must um, you know write them down. I'll to Andy. Andy. That's right. And I thought, gosh, he's not here anymore. And then I thought, actually, there's probably nobody else who's actually would would be interested anyway. I mean, it wasn't just that Andy collected the stuff; he was actually really interested in what people did. Yeah. And. Uh, I think that's what made him so special, really. He had this amazing enthusiasm for what people do. Just, just incredible. You'd have, to, you'd have to really love it to do as much as he'd done. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. saw, I, I was at Craig Do not long before he died, and his hands, you could just tell that he'd been winter climbing his whole life. And before, you know, before nice fancy tools came around. Yes. And you could tell that those hands had just been bashed yeah. off granite. My, and... my, my, my knuckles aren't great. Well, you, you, was, you was having yeah. to take it as much of a thrashing. No, I don't no, think. that's right. Exactly. That's it. I doubt anyone's ever have or no, possibly ever right. will. No, it's such a... That's right. 
I mean, that much mileage on Scottish winter is... Yes, no, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's really quite it's amazing. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you reckon? I mean, in, in terms of the way the sport is heading, mm -hmm. so I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's hugely likely that top rope practice will become I don't want to say the norm, but kind of even that popular. And as for bolts, I mean, we've resisted so far, and at the moment, the kind of leading lights of the scene seem quite keen to keep resisting. So, what do you think we'll see? Just yeah. Rough ideas. So I, I, I'm really heartened by the um, but by the new, new generation of young climbers, such people like Greg Oswell. Yeah, that's right. People like. Like 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 Greg, there's there's Ushan Hawthorne, um, Count Johnson, um, there's uh, uh, but 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 there's some really good young folk. Murdo Jameson as well, actually. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. Murdo, of course. Um, uh, but, but there's 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 a, 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 a some really um, you know young chaps bursting onto the scene as well. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see kind of, cool. kind of what they do. Even so. even on a kind of below the kind of very top level, mm -hmm. it seems like there are lots and lots of people climbing six and seven now. Yes. When that, I mean I don't think that was really the case five years ago, was it? It's been gradually sort of um pushing up, but you're right. I it's mean, almost like mental barrier has been broken. Yes. I mean great grade seven is quite hard. Um and uh, but I guess it's like rock climbing, I suppose if you're if you get your head around it and got the techniques and yeah. and and, uh, and and everything else, it's um. But yeah, a lot more people are climbing that level on, on mixed anyway than uh, than than, than yeah. to. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Mm. I'm definitely far more willing to push it on mixed with a runner ideally at head height. Yeah, that's right. We can do that on mixed. Um, you're right. I mean, some of the scary stuff on the Ben. Yes, it will always be scary. I think that's quite cool that it's going to retain that because these. I mean, hypothetically, one of these uh, iced up slabs of Ian's, mm -hmm. if there were bolts, if there was a line of bolts up that, people would try it and could try it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would be like bolting, for example, Land Ahoy and Glen Nevis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to touch that until I'm comfortably soloing, leading three E3 slabs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if there were a line of bolts up that, You'd I would walk up it. No, exactly. And right. I wouldn't remember it either. No, it would no. just be sport route number 575 that, that year. Well, that's the point. It, it, it is so memorable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. It's a, it's a funny thought. I mean, it, it's it's hard to. I mean, we might be totally throwing a curveball, and like a couple of years from now, something will be invented that'll make Scottish winter climbing totally change, totally different. I've I've wondered about that. Um, you know, I, I suppose when people invented friends, you know, you think, gosh, what an amazing invention. Yeah. Or, or... I mean, even the front point crampon. I I it, yeah. I don't know. And I suppose, like all these things, it will be so obvious when it's um, when it when it happens. We like, when, of when, course, when, it was when, going when, to be when, when it's developed. I don't actually. I get a bit frustrated with with um, gear manufacturers to a degree. I don't really think anybody's really thinking that that deeply about Scottish winter climbing. No, um, no, it's kind of a sideline. You know, they'll make a tool that's good for the Alps. Exactly, that's right. And um, not looking at you, Petzlnomics. Great for ice climbing, but mixed tends to murder them, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, I, I, the, the, I mean, the tools are very much made for. For climbing ice or for dry tooling, yeah. Um, that there's, that there's, there aren't nobody's. Oh, well, actually, no. DMM, the DMM ones, they're really solid. Yes, they, they, they. I don't use them. It, um, Ian does actually. Um, they, 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 uh, they, they certainly are solid. Um, but I don't know. And um, they've got can opener teeth and stuff. Yeah, there's, 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 there's something about. Um, you need the you need the, the durability, but also with the performance, really. And um, 
Uh, I, I'm just not quite sure we've, we've, we've quite got there yet. Okay, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, I, I bought myself a new pair of ice ice tools. I was coming in Norway a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I Senya. Oh, Senya. cool. It looks fantastic. That's island, right? Yeah, that's right. It was and cool. Greg Boswell did a bunch of new stuff there. He did. He did. That's right. He did about about a couple of years ago. How is it? It's a pretty cool place. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah? Amazing. Would you recommend it yes. for, a, for yeah. a place to go? Yeah, that's absolutely. Cool. Amazing. That's right. But I was I had some... I bought some new tools for that. How did you get? Those um, Xtremes. Cassian Xtremes. Those orange ones. Yeah. They, they're really popular on the continent. They, they seem less well-known here. Yes, I don't think they'd last very long here. But they're good um, for ice, though. But they're very good for ice. They're very, very light. Um, right. And they've got very thin picks. So they penetrate the ice very, Do you very modify well. your picks for ice? No, I, we, I, I, I tend to use some um, new picks for ice is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then once they get a bit destroyed, yes. we'll get them to mixed use. That's right, exactly. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've never had a pick break or anything? Yes. Yeah? Although not, 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 for, not, for, not for a long time. In the old days, they always used to break. Yeah, but now they've got to that point where they're, you know, pretty solid that's right you occasionally bend them but not not very often like that now yeah. actually um no in the old days i mean it was standard you'd um you'd, you'd, you'd break ice axes left right and center yeah i mean you know, you do roots in the alps and you break you know three out of four you're kidding yeah yeah that used to happen a lot so you'd have to take four tools or four well four no you, you'd, 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 you know we, we you couldn't replace them you just have to um <laughs> all right do yeah Climb it with yeah. hat. Oh god, that's, that's horrible. Right. I thought that's right. He used to have to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. did you used to go out to Chamonix and like spend two months living in the woods and things like that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. God, I, I, I look at pictures of Snell's Field back in the day, and I'm just consumed with envy. Yes, it was. It, it was an amazing hotbed. Uh, I mean, a lot of really good climbers, and uh, you hear so many stories about it. It was a real kind of focus point, wasn't it? it no, it was for that generation. Uh, generation, uh, and um, there was some. There were some great climbers, and uh, and. British climbing was was you know alpinism was very very strong back in the eighties. So yeah, it was um, early eighties. It was very very good. And that was a good, a good place to be. So where where do you? I mean, what are your plans for the next? Uh, any any trips planned or any, any things you're working on right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm off to Alaska in um, three weeks' time. Oh, brilliant! What are you doing in Alaska? <laughs> um, so we're going to an unusual part of Alaska. So we're um, when I climbed last time, it was in the main yeah. Central Alaskan range. So we're going to um, the Steikin ice field area. So, oh, right. basically, it's the, the Alaskan panhandle. So, if you look at a map of Alaska, there's this long peninsula that drops down um, to the south. It's actually opposite British Columbia. So, actually, Canada sort of comes up alongside it. And, and the mountains there—they're really a continuation of the um, of the Coast Mountains. I've done a lot there in, in uh -huh. the Cajun Coast Mountains, and I've always wanted to go to to um, to, to this particular. That's interesting. Group. Um, so, what what is? Is there anything there that I would have heard of, or is it? Kind yes. Of... So um, there's a mountain called Devil's Thumb. Oh yeah, I've heard of uh, Devil's Thumb. Is, um, is Jezebel there? So a lot of people no, know no. There so Jezebel's in the Revelation Mountains. Revelation, which is, sorry, which is, yeah. yeah. So Devil's, so Devil's Thumb, Thumb, I've heard is, of. Though. Yeah, it, it's a very impressive, you know, huge granite tower thing. A bit, bit, bit like something out of Patagonia. Cool. So we're not going there, um, but we're going. There's a mountain that looks just like Devil's Thumb that's about twenty miles away. And uh, that's called Oasis Peak. That sounds a lot friendlier. And it, but it, look, it looks similar. And uh, it's only been climbed once. How's so the weather there? It's really shit. Really shit. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Will you shed like Scottish conditions or is it like compared to the Alps? Or? Well, I don't know. I think it will be a mixture really. 
Cool. Um, so May's meant to be a good time. So, mm -hmm. so we'll see. So when are you back from that trip? Sort of late May. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little I'm, not, I'm a little bit nervous about it actually. I'll be around um, in June actually. So if you want to do a wee follow up, or we, okay, can, we can find out how you got on. That might be quite good. Fun. We could try that. Yeah. 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 yeah that'd be yeah, quite, yeah, quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So who are you who are you heading there with? Um, a guy called Mark Robson who lives in Inverness. So Mark is a very talented climber and athlete, but he's, he very, yeah. he's very much below the radar screen. But I have but, never heard that name, and I'm from but, just north of Inverness. But Mark, no, but he's exactly. But he's he's a he's a he's a yeah, he's a very good very good person to come and trip around. Excellent. Very, very That'll good. be really good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's quite exciting. It's very exciting. No, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, yeah. Do you think you'll get out again in, uh, in Scottish winter this season? Well, maybe on Friday. Um, yes, that was the day after tomorrow. Yes, hopefully on Friday. Yeah, where are you heading? I don't know, probably Glencoe. I've actually got an SMT meeting that evening in Glencoe. A guidebook so, thing? Or? A trust thing. But yeah, All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I need to be there for that. So Brilliant. That's cool. the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how about you? I've, I've given up on Scottish winter this season. I did like, uh, I did one route in Glencoe and two easy gullies in Snechter somewhere just to get out and do a bit of romping. Okay. But I've just been focusing on rock, trying to get my rock climbing back up again to go out to the Alps. I want to, I want to climb certain things and I have realised my rock climbing is holding me back. Have you climbed anything in the Dolomites? Some easy stuff. Some easy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Not, 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 not worth I've, I've not, I always find I tend to get yeah. rained on yeah. in the Dolomites. I'm going there this September. Yes, I went there for a week. Um, in September a few years ago, it was good actually. It seems to be the weather's a bit more stable then. Yeah, I always look at the rain stats yeah. on why I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of how I judge. And I also find the Ekron is so much more stable than Chamonix. Yeah, no, the, the Ekron is good. Have you done good. much there? Yeah, so I've done, done a lot of the sort of big classics. You done uh, anything on the bar? Uh, bar des Ekron. Yes, I've done the South Pillar. Can you, that's interesting. So, how yeah. do you find that? Um, in terms of looseness okay have you done it I have yeah, yeah I did that yeah. last season with a guy called Ollie okay. and we got some good beta actually off Murray Hamilton uh -huh. and he was like you get to this point it looks yeah. like you go right yeah. do yeah. not go right do not follow the slings intact go left there's a steep wall yep and yeah, we, we went left right. up the nice cracked slab and then romped to go oh it's a wonderful route yes it is a good route yeah that's How, right so myself and Ollie we walked in bivouacked at the, the nice bivouac spot then the next day we approached it climbed it and down to the hut, and then the next day from the hut back to our bivy, collected our stuff, and then to the valley and pizza. So how did you do it? Same. Same. Yeah. Okay. Good to know that we're not total punters, because yeah. Murray Hamilton seemed to like single push it from the car park in like twenty minutes or something. No, I I I, I can't remember how we got our kit back, but I think we did the same. That's good to know. I think. Yeah. So it's a it's a fantastic route, but I remember we found it kind of scary and loose. It's quite long. I remember we probably weren't very climatised. I remember thinking it was a long way at the time. Oh, right, because yeah. we'd walked up the Val Normale before with some friends. Oh, I see. Okay, that's good. That's cool. Yeah. There's yeah. lots to go out there. I mean, yeah. it's so quiet compared to Sham as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. see if we can get sponsorship yeah. for the podcast from, like, the Ekron uh, tourist <laughs> okay. board. That's right. But, um, yeah, back to the Dolomites. One of the, my first season, actually, we had an exciting time because we, we were about 18, didn't, didn't have any money, and the weather was... In Chamonix. Sounds like the normal, yeah, normal right. first trip. We, 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 we were so poor, some Polish people gave us their food. Jesus. You know, that's, anyway, so we. And they would have, that would have been a kind of communist country at the time. Indeed, that's right. So exactly that's, that's, right. that's telling that. So, so we, we, it was all in tins, so we put these tins in our rucksack and we, we tried to hitch, but we couldn't. So we got third class rail to, to, um, to Venice. We eventually got to Cortina, and the weather was still awful. Yeah. And, um, I remember we slept under the buses at the bus station 
um, it, it was in a kind of there was a kind of bank behind them, so they couldn't squash us, they couldn't reverse back, and. Um, and we got interviewed by the local radio station because they were also based in the bus station. Anyway, <laughs> eventually we we, Why we, are you we, under we, these we 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 got up and um, and uh, and we did the um, the Kimichi route on the on the Tuma Grand. As a Kimichi de Mai? Yeah, that's right. Oh, wonderful! And, and it, but it was a it was people hadn't climbed it free in those days. It was it was an A climb. That's cool. And um, so I, I made some X-rays out of some. Um, climbing tape I'd found a bad It's interesting shell. how standards jump in, is it? Because of Robbie I was speaking to, yeah. he and I think it was Callum Johnson yeah. went and basically simul climbed that. Yeah. They climbed like three towers. So yeah, that's amazing. In, in the space of not very many years, relatively speaking, yeah, probably it goes from years. people not able to free it yeah, to yeah. people able to free it to people being able to simul climb it. And obviously now people being able to solo things and soloing things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it is, I mean, yeah, ro ro yeah Robbie and Callum are they're pretty phenomenal. I, so, um, but uh, anyway, um, my, my my friend had uh, Mike had, had uh, the local supermarket sold climbing gear, and, and they sold X-ray rungs, and um, so he bought some of those. They're quite cheap, mm -hmm. and then um, he bought some some cord to to to, 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 to knot out into X-rays. And uh, it was all quite expensive, but there was one, there was some, some white and red stuff that was about a quarter of the price. So he bought that. Anyway, um, during the route, his x-rays stretched, they were kind of double in length. Oh, no. So he went back to the shop and said, um, you know, there's something wrong with your climbing <laughs> rope. And they said, no, that's not climbing rope, it's parcel string. Jesus. <laughs> oh, so, wow. um, yeah, so that was, uh, that was that story. But, yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It's Callum Cunningham, not Johnson. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Oh, Callum. Okay. Don't get yeah, yeah. given the wrong guy. Oh, right. Fine. Okay. Yes. All right. We'll. But we'll, we'll. Yeah. We'll, Parcel yeah. string. Oh, it's yeah. horrific. But, but both Callum's good climbers. Yeah. That's right. But um, yeah, that's fantastic though. Yeah. yeah I'm looking. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up there because okay, uh, good stuff. Five now is kind of fairly standard for an Indeed. episode. Very but good. I'm looking forward to hearing about Alaska, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll definitely uh, contact you in in June about okay. having a quick chat about how that went. Fine. Fine, pleasure. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Thank All you right. for your thank time. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye.